This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Welcome back to another episode of Infertile Millennial. This is episode nine. I am so excited to be here today. And before we get into anything, I'm also very excited to announce that my shop, Shop Infertile Millennial, has officially launched. This is going to be the perfect gift shop for anybody that you know who is struggling with infertility, miscarriage, or who is going through fertility treatments, who just needs a little bit of support, a little bit of encouragement, maybe send a little bit of sunshine there way. There's lots of gifts and goods there. There's more coming soon that I can't announce quite yet for the shop, but for now we've got lots of goods on there. So you can find everything there at infertilemillennial.com slash shop. Today's episode, we are going to be focusing on Mother's Day. We have a very wonderful guest named Angela. She's going to be sharing her story. We're going to talk about a little bit of Mother's Day history for those of you wondering, and we're going to kind of share how does Mother's Day impact you as somebody struggling with infertility and what are some ways to cope with Mother's Day when you're struggling with infertility or when you're struggling with grief after pregnancy loss. So I highly recommend anybody to listen to this podcast. This is very important. Whether you're going through this, whether you know someone going through this, this is going to help somebody somewhere out there. So the official Mother's Day holiday arose in the 1900s as a result of efforts from Anna Jarvis, who is the daughter of Anne Reeves Jarvis. So Anne Reeves Jarvis actually was the one to come up with the idea first. That was her mother, but she never ended up making it to become an official holiday. So her daughter, following her mother's death in 1905, Anna Jarvis conceived of the idea of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifices that mothers made for their children. And you might be wondering, why am I telling you all of this? Well, Anne Reeves Jarvis, the mother of Anna Jarvis, bore 13 children and only four lived to adulthood. So she wanted to celebrate the sacrifices that her mother made for her and every mother has made for their child, whether their children are on this earth or have passed on. And I find that to be really comforting as somebody who's experienced pregnancy loss. Mother's Day is never an easy day for myself. I always try to distract myself or kind of remove myself from social media around that time. But it's really fascinating to know that Mother's Day was actually meant to celebrate you being a mother, whether you have children on this earth or not, because either way you've made sacrifices when it comes to pregnancy loss. And especially also going through fertility treatments, all of those treatments that you're trying to do in order to get this child here, you're sacrificing a lot. So I find that to be very comforting. Another really cool fun fact about Mother's Day is that Anna Jarvis is usually seen as the mother of Mother's Day for creating the movement. But she remained unmarried and childless her entire life. So even though she was not an actual mother to a child, she was still considered a mother because of this holiday, which I think is cool because in my opinion, if you mother something, you're a mother. If you've had pregnancy loss, you're a mother. If you have embryos, you're a mother. If you have dogs, you're a mother. If you have, you know, a child you take care of every day, you're a mother. Like I just, to me, and I I just love the idea of this holiday, how it originated is so fascinating. So following the success of the first Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis 
resolved to see her holiday added to the national calendar, arguing that American holidays were biased towards male achievements. She started a massive letter-writing campaign to newspapers and prominent politicians urging the adoption of a special day honoring motherhood. So she fought very hard to make this a day to acknowledge women and all of the sacrifices that they've made. Anna Jarvis actually resented the fact that florists and candy makers were taking this holiday and making money off of it without giving her any credit. She actually fought for that for her entire life and she tragically passed away in the 40s but she was never intending this to be a holiday where people made a bunch of money off of it so I just find that all really fascinating because you know the way I see it now I told my husband recently is that I just feel like around this time your your email inbox is just flooded with all of these Mother's Day sales or dresses to fit the bump and all this stuff and we're flooded with all of this like I mean, literally any store can market to Mother's Day just to like have a sale and get money is what it seems like now. And it's almost like we've lost what Mother's Day was always meant to be about. And so I I think that's comforting to those of us who have experienced pregnancy loss or infertility is that the reason it feels so in your face all the time and the reason that Mother's Day might feel harder is because it is so shoved in your face and people use it to make money. And that's the unfortunate part when you're struggling. And so I think I feel a little bit more comforted knowing that the original Mother's Day was celebrating a mother who did experience loss. So take that, take of that what you will. But I personally find that to be really comforting in in some type of way. And so hopefully this will help you guys in some way. As you guys can probably tell, today's episode is very much centered around Mother's Day, but in a way that opens it to the perspective of somebody who is struggling from infertility or pregnancy loss. So today's special guest is Angela. And not only did Angela decide to join the Brave Babes Club and share her story with all of you, she's a freaking warrior. She, her story, I would have to tell you, I was holding back tears the entire time I was listening. Angela has suffered four miscarriages in a matter of six years. And I am going to give a little bit of a warning before this episode truly begins, before the interview begins, that some things are kind of graphic. So if this is not something that you're going to be able to listen to or it could be triggering, I wouldn't. But I highly recommend that if anyone can listen to this, please listen to this. I think this episode is going to be eye-opening and kind of give you an idea of why do we call infertility warriors warriors? I think Angela's story is the reason we call us that. The reason that we're called warriors, I mean, her story is the epitome of this. The fact that she's still here, standing, smiling, to me, that says it all. And um, again, that goes back to this Mother's Day history that I was saying is the fact that the original creator of Mother's Day had 13 children, only four lived to adulthood, and she still wanted to fight to have a day to celebrate mothers is truly amazing. And I think Angela, she she's the exact same way. She is so strong. And I cannot wait for you guys to listen to her story. And without any further ado, you guys, please welcome Angela. The content that you're about to hear may be seen as graphic or too mature for some audiences. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Thank you so much for coming on today. I feel like your story, I think, is definitely going to resonate with somebody somewhere out there. I think you've had just a really crazy journey in such a short amount of time. I mean, it's been almost six years, but six years still with everything that you've dealt with, to me, is just that's a lot to go through. 
Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about you and your husband? Where'd you guys meet when you guys get married? Yeah, so um, for your listeners, my name's Angela. I'm a full-time hospice filler by day. I'm a makeup junkie by night. I love uh, doing Facebook Lives and um, getting on TikTok, especially <laughs> lately. It's been my favorite. Um, so that's kind of what I do. Uh, my husband and I, we met as high school sweethearts. Um, I was 16. He was 17. Um, that was, gosh, 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've been together, uh, we've been married for almost eight. Did you guys start trying for kids right away or did you wait a second? We, I think we started trying maybe two years after we got married. Um, so okay. about, about in 2015. And then we got pregnant right away the first time. Now, did you tell anyone right away that you were trying or did you keep it a secret? Because I had someone actually leave a question that I've now been asking everyone who comes on. And their question was, do you recommend telling anybody that you've started trying before? So I wondered if you had told anybody and if you recommend it. So we kept it really traditional the first time and didn't tell anybody um, that we were trying or anything. We just wanted it to be a big surprise. Um, Now looking back on it, I wholeheartedly believe that you should tell and announce whenever you wish, because I feel like you need that support system just in case something were to go wrong. You have so many people supporting you no matter what and and in this this day and age it's not really a secret that you know people that are in love are going to mm-hmm. maybe someday get pregnant um you know it's so common now so i i definitely believe in whenever you're ready to to let the world know for sure yeah yeah so how soon after you guys well, actually, back. I'm going to back that up for a second. Did you do any kind of testing on anything before starting, or did you just jump right in? We just jumped right in because we figured that we were both fairly healthy. Um, looking back on it now, I probably would have. I probably would have had both of us get physicals or at least see where we're at health-wise just because, you know, you want to know if you have any pre-existing conditions before you... Yeah, as I think most people do. I don't think it's very common anyway, but sometimes I think people will just kind of go get a physical or any, I don't know, something just to kind of make sure everything checks out. So how soon after you started trying did you get pregnant? We were trying for maybe three months, and by the third month we had a positive test. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that pregnancy? So... As far as I knew, it was a normal, healthy pregnancy because it was my first one. Um, we waited until about the eight-week mark to go to, like, our appointment where they're going to tell us, like, our history and physical kind of situation. Um, around that time, though, is when I started spotting. And so uh, we kind of treated that eight-week appointment as a, hey, what should we do? Like, is this normal? Is it common? And Um, They basically told us that, yeah, it's mostly common if it's just spotting and, you know, let us know if it gets worse. And um, so for the most part, it was a healthy pregnancy. We started telling people about 10 weeks along just because, you know, we didn't know any better. And um, we had an ultrasound like around the 11 week mark and everything looked okay. Um, they, They checked me for everything, said that you know, this is a viable pregnancy, you're doing well, Um, you know, spotting and even bleeding is common in a lot of pregnancies. So it's, you know, it's the same risk as as healthy pregnancies ending in miscarriage, it's 80-20. 
So yeah. if you're bleeding, there's an 80% chance that this baby's going to make it and a 20% chance that they're not. Um, and then, you know, that, uh, that same day we went to take photos cause we were going to announce the pregnancy on social media. And unfortunately that same night is when we miscarried. Oh my gosh. Oh, that like, when you told me that, that just hit me like a ton of bricks there. Yeah. So, so it just all started at once that same evening, everything. So anybody that's been through a, a miscarriage knows that most of the time what's going to happen is you're going to, it's almost going to feel like your water's breaking and you just, you know, the bleeding gets worse. And, yeah. you know, we look back on that photo shoot as that was our last moments with that pregnancy. And that yeah. was a moment captured in time where we were truly happier than I've ever seen us. And then to just have it all crushed, like maybe an hour later, it's uh, looking back on it now, I'm like, how did I survive? I don't know. Yeah, I can't even imagine all the emotions that you went through within a 24 hour period of being real, being basically like on a high, very exciting, getting ready to announce it. But then literally that same day, I just can't, I can't even imagine how you felt. So can you kind of walk us through how it felt to realize that you were miscarrying for the first time? So I really didn't know that I was. Um, we went to the emergency room and I just thought that maybe I was just having a bleeding episode. And um, I quickly realized as we were getting triaged that it was getting worse and you could feel like when you have, even when you go into labor for a full-term baby, you have what's called back labor. So I was definitely having like that horrible pain and like your uterus contracts huge, big waves every time, whether it's a yeah. miscarriage or, or a full-term birth. So you're uncomfortable the whole time. And I knew something was kind of not going to turn out right. So, um, you know, we waited in a room for maybe about 30 minutes, you know, how the emergency room is. Um, and then a doctor came in and checked and he says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use a speculum and I'm really sorry, but I'm going to check and see what's going on. And I think what had happened is that everything had passed by then because he didn't see anything in, uh, in my uterus anymore. Wow. Um, so he basically took everything out and like put my legs down and he looked at Mike and I, and he said, I'm so sorry, you guys, but you did miss Carrie. And, um, we're going to start working on your, your aftercare. Uh, and he, that doctor I think about now was probably the most compassionate out of all four that I've had. Um, because he looked at us and he said, you guys are such nice people and you're so young and this is like the first pregnancy and it just, it's not fair. And yeah. You could tell that he was going to get emotional. And that to me oh. is like, that's a good doctor in my eyes yeah. because, you know, you don't want somebody to be like, well, you miscarried. Good luck. You want somebody mm -hmm. that's like really invested in, you know, he just met me 30 minutes ago and, um, so that's when it became real because I just remember everything, like the, the floor falling through and my whole world, everything turned black. And I'm just like, oh my God, I, like, I never thought this would happen to me. And at that point I was maybe 25, 26. I was like, there's no way that you don't, you don't think it could happen to you until it does. And, yeah. You know, it's really nice to know that you had a doctor, especially the first time, who was so compassionate or empathetic because 
Unfortunately, I hear stories too often where the doctors are like, it's fine. It happens to a lot of people. You'll be okay. And the way I feel about miscarriage is that just because it happens to a lot of people does not mean it's less upsetting to you. You know, just because they see it all the time doesn't mean we have, you know, so it's, and it's, and it's our pregnancy. So therefore, how can they say that it's, oh, it's no big deal. Brush it off. So yeah, I just feel like there needs to be a lot more empathy in that world. And I understand like, unfortunately, they have to come at it in a scientific way and it is cold, but there can be a good balance, I think. Yeah, I think so too. So what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling with grief after miscarriage? I think the important thing to do is to let it happen and and go full in with your grief. Um, I think that's one thing that I kind of regret the first time is I kind of held a lot of it inside. Um, Granted, I didn't know that I was going to go through it several more times afterwards, but um, that's just how I grew up was to kind of hold your emotions inside. And I think the biggest piece of advice is to let it out. You have to, because this is something that happens to women that before our time, they weren't talking about. It was taboo. It was, oh my God, did you hear that so-and-so had a miscarriage? Whereas Mm -hmm. now it's like, okay, I've gone through something that one in four, which is probably even more common now. So it's probably one in three uh, women go through every year. There's millions that go through this so I would say really unleash your your grief um go through it however you want to and take your time um thankfully my employer at the time was very understanding and let me take a full week off which oh wow that's really good (laughs) places are like we need you back you know and I was like well I'm healing from a miscarriage and you know so They were very understanding. So take the time that you need. Um, I would treat it just like as if you gave birth and give yourself time to recover physically, mentally, all of it. Because postpartum depression still exists for us that don't have a baby to take home. So that's a great, I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, you're right. And I like how you said, treat it like you gave birth. It shouldn't be treated any differently. Then, you know, you're still going through all of those changes from being pregnant to not. So I I like that outlook. Um, So I'm assuming that after this loss, did you tell a few people that you were pregnant and lost it? Or did you tell anyone super close to you when you were pregnant? Like your parents before announcing we told we told all of our parents both mike's parents and mine um we told like our employers just to let them know um and then just before that um day that we miscarried i think i told my co-workers just to keep them in the loop and i think that was about it and then we were going to wait for those photos to come back to do an announcement for sure. So um, when we got our photos back, I said, let's use those and say, we were pregnant. And unfortunately, we lost and I made a whole spiel about, you know, God has a bigger plan. And, you know, this happens to so many women, you're not alone. And I think it was really important back then, especially and to think, you know, 2015 wasn't really that far along ago. But, you know, it was important at that time to share 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 because 
at that point, I really did feel alone because, you know, you're surrounded by people. I was 26, so there's probably a lot of people around me that were pregnant and having babies. And, you know, you didn't really experience a lot of miscarriage. So I just, I felt the need, I felt compelled and I felt the need to share. And I still can remember uh, the most common comment I got was just how strong I was. And really, I felt weaker <laughs> than ever in that moment. But I think it's just a... Uh, Yeah, I'm glad that you got a lot of support when you talked about it instead of getting just tons of dismissive comments or whatever. I think the majority of people are not going to be dismissive and they are going to offer supporting words. But um, I like how how you kind of announced it. You and I actually kind of did the same thing where I was going to, you know, post this whole vlog about here's what it took for us to get pregnant, but then it didn't work out. So then I was like, oh, well, then I guess I should use this as a way to say like, hey, this is why we don't have kids yet, you know? And and so I think showing the side of it doesn't always work out, so here's what we're going through, I think can be really helpful or just give people an idea of what you're going through at the moment. Right, yeah. How soon after miscarrying did you guys decide to try again? We, we took a long break. Um, we didn't try again until 2017 um and uh i think i want to say we got testing done but i'm really not entirely sure i think maybe some blood work but that's it i mean they really couldn't explain it you know when you go for your postpartum appointment after a miscarriage after your first miscarriage um they're gonna say it's common try again um you're healthy your husband's healthy please try again and so that's what we did. We just, um, back in 2017, we started again. I had just got to a new job and a bunch of coworkers were asking, well, you should really, I think you should really try again. I think that, you know, you've learned a lot from this last one and let's, you know, you and Mike should give it another go. So we did. Um, and this time around, it was a surprise. It was oh. um, like a trying, but not trying kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, initially when you start trying, you're doing like ovulation tests and, you know, tracking your cycle and all those things. Well, this was kind of a, oh, okay, I guess I'm, I guess I'm pregnant. And, um, that was roughly around Thanksgiving of 2017. Um, so I had, when you first get pregnant, you go to the doctor and you get your blood work done to confirm. And, you know, in my case, I wanted to have it done every 48 hours to make sure those numbers were doubling. And um, they said, okay, well, this blood test, your number is this. Uh, the next one, it looks like it quadrupled. Um, and unfortunately, the next blood draw, it's dropped again. So uh, this one was what they considered to be like a chemical pregnancy. So um, basically, you take a pregnancy test, and some people legit don't even know they're pregnant. They just think that their period's starting. Um, so if I hadn't tested so early, um, I think I wouldn't have even known that I was pregnant at the time because it was so fast. So after suffering two losses, how did that impact your marriage? I mean, I think it was tough the second time around because I kept repeating that I didn't want to go through this again. I can't believe it happened again. Lightning struck again. How do we stay motivated to try it a third time? Especially, it it was just a weird experience because, truthfully, 
it, it almost seemed like it, I didn't have enough time to process that I was even pregnant in the first place in order for that, you know, and this, unfortunately, this second time around, um, the doctor was, or the doctor was compassionate, but the, uh, staff wasn't as compassionate about it. They basically said, oh yeah, well, she's miscarrying. So, uh, so that, that was tough. Yeah. And, um, so I think it, I think it took a toll on us, but I think we were a little bit more motivated, uh, than the last time. I think, you know, when you have a your first pregnancy and miscarriage, that really uh, puts you in a dark place. Uh, the second time around, we said, "Okay, well, I feel like this one was a fluke. Maybe, maybe, perhaps, you know, we do a little further research, maybe get some more testing, and and give it another go." So um, that's why we took such a short little hiatus this time around and uh, went and got more testing. We both got chromosome testing done. Um, I think I got an ultrasound, like a transvaginal ultrasound, just to check for like polyps or anything like that. Nothing abnormal. And so we started the new year in 2018 and started trying again. And I think that was another one where like within two or three months, positive test. This time around, we actually vlogged our experience, and I don't think I have the videos up anymore just because it's it's too much. Um, but we we definitely vlogged the experience. We like took a test every month and kind of reviewed things that we did last month that we would do differently the next month. Um, we really went in on the whole trying to conceive thing to the point where I was drinking like fertility smoothies <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, upping my prenatals. And um, so we got pregnant again, uh, I want to say April of 2018. And this one, I was being closely monitored because it wasn't necessarily a high risk pregnancy, but they were saying, okay, we're going to check like your progesterone levels, which that was the first time that I had heard what progesterone even was. That's how naive I was. Mm -hmm. uh, so they put me on progesterone uh, supplements and that pregnancy, I'm telling you, up until I started bleeding again, was a textbook perfect pregnancy for that first trimester because I wasn't, I wasn't bleeding. I had morning sickness. I had all the symptoms like two, you know, you, you use apps to like track your, how far along you are and what kind of symptoms you can expect. Like there's one week where they're like, you're going to have cystic acne and sure shit. There I am. <laughs> <laughs> cystic acne all over my face. So everything was perfect, literally perfect. So then, like, I don't know, I was maybe 13, 14 weeks, and we went on a little mini vacay, little weekend getaway um, downstate, and had been walking around, doing some shopping, went out to eat, came back to our hotel, I used the restroom, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, honey, but I, I'm spotting. I said, we need to go to the ER. Um, uh, this time around I think I was with the same doctor but I had a different doctor on call that ends up being a savior um but she said you need to go to the emergency room right away they need to do some tests and see what's going on so they did a bunch of tests and you know when you go to the ER for spotting and you're pregnant I feel like you sit there for what feels like an eternity um 
just because like when they're triaging things, sure, it's kind of an emergency, but they're also dealing with like gunshot wounds and Mm -hmm. people that are, you know, uh, so they said everything looked great. Baby looks great. Heartbeat's awesome. You're having spotting. I would get some rest because it's possible. Maybe you have like a hemorrhage and you just need to let that heal. So we rested and it went away for, I want to say maybe a week. And then it started slowly coming back. So I was getting seen by the doctor more often, getting checked, kept saying, you know, your, your cervix is closed. You, you don't have any hemorrhages that we can see, but you know, you're having some breakthrough bleeding, which like I said, sometimes can just be normal. Um, and then about the 16, 17 week mark, I had come home from work and I was just uncomfortable and I didn't quite know what was going on. So I took a shower, I relaxed, I rested, and I started to feel back labor again. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And so went to the restroom and my water broke. Um, the thing I wish we would have done back then was call 911. But unfortunately, when your adrenaline is up, you really don't know what to do. So we rushed to the emergency room again and said, you know, she's, she's, she thinks she's miscarrying. So we need to get triaged right away. She's bleeding. And um, I just remember being taken back to a room, getting changed in a gown. And I said, I have to use the restroom again. And I walked over to the restroom and... Um, Unfortunately, I passed the baby uh, in the restroom at the emergency room. And um, the hard part about that was that the door was so far away and I had locked it. And so I was basically screaming for my husband and I was like, Mike, I I said, the baby passed through. I don't want you to see this, but I need you to grab like security or somebody to unlock the door. And so that, I think that was probably the most traumatic part about that whole experience was just the panic of, I don't want to get off the toilet because, you know, this is happening. Um, I don't want Mike to come in and see. I want somebody to try and unlock this door so that they can get me out of this bathroom. And um, I'll never forget that. That still replays in my head nearly daily. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's trauma. So they you know, obviously they can't tell me anything. I don't know at this point. I lost the baby. Um, So they um, took me up to labor and delivery and wanted to check to make sure that everything had passed through. So um, unfortunately, I did have to get a DNC because my uh, placenta was still hanging tight and they just wanted to make sure that they got everything out. So I had to have my first surgery at, uh, how old was I? at 27, 29 something years old. Um, That was my first surgery was a DNC. And um, I'll I'll never forget that because I woke up from surgery and the first thing I said was, is Mike still here? And they said, oh yeah, he's in in the room with just waiting for you. And I sobbed because I thought that, oh my God, we went through this a third time. I swear I thought he left me. And I, yeah, I was hysterical. I was like, please let Mike still be there when I get back to my room. So um, that experience I'll never forget because they treated me again as if I had just given birth to a baby. 
they were in labor and delivery. They, everyone in the staff knew that I had lost a baby. So they treated me obviously a little bit differently than the other moms, but they walked in every time and said, hi, mom. Hi, dad. What can we get for you? Um, what can we get arranged for you? Um, as far as, you know, when you lose a baby, you have to have the remains taken care of. So, um, we, we found out that the baby was a boy. Uh, so we, uh, decided to name him Owen. Uh, Mike picked out the name and they said, okay, well, what would you like us to do? And I said, well, I'd like the baby to be cremated. They arranged the funeral home, everything. They made sure that when it was time for me to be discharged, that I'd be walked out kind of privately, kind of sensitively, like taken down to the lobby and just sat with for a little while. Um, to be honest with you, the adrenaline of all of it, I don't remember much of the discharge process. Um, I just remember the minute that we walked out of the hospital, I broke down again because um, while Owen was in the nursery, uh, Mike got to go see him as often as he wanted. He, you know, and he asked me, the nurses asked me, the doctor asked me if I wanted to go see him. And unfortunately, it was just such a traumatic moment that I couldn't do it. It was too hard. Um, so I opted out. And the minute I walked out of the hospital, I broke down and I said, that was the biggest mistake of my life. And I should have gone and seen him. But I didn't. Oh, I just want to tell you that, um, you, I mean, I have a lump in my throat, like trying to like hold back tears. That is such just an amazing story. And I want to just tell you that you, you told it so well, like you really held it together. And I don't, I don't know how you did that. I mean, I'm just like in such awe of all of that, you know, um, I knew, I knew of your loss, um, but I didn't know any of the details. And that is just like, you are so strong. <laughs> like that is just such, so much to go through and just, you're right. Like it's so much trauma, but I hope that you don't ever hold any guilt, you know, over that decision that you made because you did what you had to do at that time to survive. And, and I know that that has to be really hard to, you know, not feel guilty that you didn't do that. But I think what you chose to do was only in your best interest at that time. Right. You know? Yeah. How, how were you able to stay so strong after all of those losses? You know, people ask me that all the time and they, <laughs> they assume I'm strong. And I think it's just because of how I carry myself. Um, but I do have my weak moments. And I think in having those weak moments and knowing that it's okay to break down and to have your time to grieve because there is no timeline for it, I think that weakness makes me strong. Um, I also think it's important to have a sense of community with this, um, like a sisterhood, if you will. So I surround like my social media and my overall view of the world with other angel moms because you know they have such incredible stories and you talk you think about the women that have gone through stillbirth and the women that have gone through uh babies that died due to SIDS and um infant loss and 
it's it really um I think I'm strong because of the women that I surround myself around. I don't think it's just me. I think my story helps. I think it definitely helps anyone in the future. But I think simply by allowing myself to be weak, that's that's ultimately what makes me strong. I wouldn't call it weakness. I would call it vulnerable. Like, you're vulnerable. Like, because I don't think you're weak by any means, you know? And, like, have having an emotion about what you went through isn't weakness it's just what you're feeling you know and you're gonna feel that when you go through these traumatic experiences like that like for sure and no one should ever you know judge you or look at you like oh she's weak because like I think you're I mean oh my gosh like I think you're just so incredibly strong I had no idea that you had gone through all of that that's just such a journey thank you you're welcome. So in an earlier conversation, you mentioned that you suffered another loss in 2020 during the beginning of COVID. Is that correct? Yes. So what was that like, not only going through that again, but doing it while having to be quarantined and not being able to see friends and family? That was, I would say that was probably the worst. Um, obviously, all my losses are traumatic, but I, it was it was unique in that um, you truly felt physically alone. Um, so I so after we lost Owen, we took a big break, and I said initially then I said I'm never getting pregnant again. There's no way. Um, so we actually switched doctors. Um, I want to say in 2019 we switched doctors to somebody uh, very close to us, um, personally. And she said, you've got to try again. She says, we will take such good care of you. You'd be a high risk pregnancy. So you're in good hands. Um, we had, I think we had more testing done also, but that all came back normal. Um, so in January of 2020, I became pregnant again. At that point I had been taking progesterone during my luteal phase, which is basically from, uh, ovulation to either you start your period or you get pregnant. So I was basically on hormone therapy to kind of backload myself with progesterone so that I would kind of help possibly carry the baby uh, to full term. So January 2020, I got pregnant. Um, from that moment on, I was constantly getting poked with needles, uh, blood work, getting to be seen by the doctor, ultrasounds, you name it. I was constantly watched. And um, unfortunately, um, my first, one of my first ultrasounds, they said, well, here's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, they said, you know, good news is baby's got a heartbeat. You're pregnant. Congratulations. They said, um, kind of slightly not so good news. You have two subchorionic hematomas. So what those are, for those of you that don't know, are just blood pockets. So they, like, rest between the placenta and the uterine wall. Um, most of the time, they, they heal on their own, and people go on to have healthy, happy babies. Um, unfortunately, in my case, it didn't heal. But they were fairly small, so they were just monitoring me, making sure that I was getting enough rest. I was on pelvic rest, which basically means no, no sexy time. Um, yeah, no rigorous activities. Um, and then we, Mike had contracted influenza A in March of 2020, um, which they swear it wasn't COVID, but who knows? Uh, so he had been sent home with influenza A and 
maybe a couple days later, I had a very high fever and I said, "Uh oh, um, so I called my doctor and they said, go to the hospital and get tested for flu, COVID, all of that. So went to the emergency room and I said, I'm pregnant and I think I might have influenza A. So they tested me and they said, well, you're negative for everything, but we're going to send you home um, to basically like quarantine. That was like on March 11th. So that was like right before everything hit. So, mm -hmm. um, so I went home and that following Monday, my work sent everybody home because uh, COVID-19 was raging. So all of that, even with all of that going on, I still had my hematomas that were healing. So like every day I was still dealing with bleeding, like similar to a period bleeding, which they swear was normal, which I still believe to this day really was. So you're dealing with working from home, a whole new transition from being in the office with a bunch of people, hustle bustle, to, to working at home, being in like basically solitary confinement. Your husband has the flu. You might, you don't know. And so I was still having like weekly ultrasounds just to check on the baby. And then um, I had gone to the emergency room again uh, because I woke up and was gushing uh, blood. So I called and said, they said, okay, go to the ER <laughs> and um, sat there for what feels like an eternity. They said, baby looks fine. Um, at that point, you could tell that they were kind of panicking because of COVID. Um, they kind of didn't want anyone there that didn't have COVID. They were like, I don't know if you should even be here. Uh, we At that point, you know, I live in Bay County, so they had like two cases. So they were panicking. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so they sent me home and they said, you know, call your doctor in the morning. And so I did. Um, by that time, the bleeding had gone down again. It was so strange because it would go up and down. Um, and then maybe a day and a half later, I called 911 again in the early morning hours. Well, actually, I didn't call 911. I called Mike from my bed. He was sleeping in the living room. I called him and I said, honey, I need you to call 911. I think I'm miscarrying. And he said, oh my God. So he called 911 this time. So the previous time I had gone by ambulance, this time I'm going by ambulance again. So they came into my bedroom and they said, what's going on? And I said, well, I don't mean to be so nonchalant, but I think I'm miscarrying. You know, this would be my fourth um, miscarriage. I'm pretty sure that's what, what's happening. I'm having contractions and I'm like gushing everywhere. So they said, okay, we're going to take you to the emergency room and see what happens. So they took me to the ER. Um, Mike couldn't go because this was on March 31st. So that he definitely couldn't go. So it was just me by myself in the ambulance with this guy that I never met. So that was awkward enough. Um, so we get to the emergency room and they said, okay, um, they said that you're possibly miscarrying. We're going to bring in a bedside commode for you so you don't have to go to the bathroom. Um, and we'll, we'll just keep monitoring you and make sure that everything's good to go. And I said, is there any way my husband can be here with me? And they're like, no, I'm sorry. I said, we're, I said, we're in the beginning of a pandemic here. Like, you, you can't have your husband here. So I'm laying there in bed, contracting, just trying to, like, get my mind off the pain. And my friend, who works in security, walks by. And I said, hey. Mm -hmm. He comes in and he goes, what's going on? And I said, well, 
I hate to be this person, but you know, I'm, I think I'm going through a miscarriage and he says, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, yeah, I just really wish Mike could be here. And he goes, hold on. So he, he called Mike and was able to bring Mike back to the room with me so that I wasn't alone. And, uh, that I'm, I'm still in shock that that could even happen because I mean, they, I think that day they were trying to put together a COVID floor in that hospital. So they were scrambling. I think you could tell that everyone was terrified. So um, anyway, so I had passed everything. They took me for an ultrasound to confirm. And then I, um, my doctor came in and just wanted to check. She had actually just come back from doing a C-section. So she said, oh my gosh, you guys. She says, I'm so sorry. Um, she says, and I... I so desperately want to give you a hug right now, but I can't. And she was in full, like, riot gear almost. She had, like, a shield and the mask and the everything had to tow, like, a hazmat suit. She says, I wish I could give you a hug, but I just can't. And she started to cry. And that, to me, was like, oh, God. She really wanted this bad for us. And um, you almost feel, like, disappointed that you didn't provide that for her. (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. so weird in that moment. But um, she checked everything, said everything looked good. You passed everything. And she said, I'm so sorry. She says, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm done. I, this, I said it last time and I know that I was serious back then, but I'm serious now. And she goes, you know, sometimes people react with emotions. And I said, no, I'm telling you, um, we're done. I said, I, I cannot go through this a fifth time, a sixth, a seventh. We can't do this anymore. I said, we have to think of other options here. So, so I said, I'm officially done trying to get pregnant ever again. And she said, okay, well, we, we're here for you no matter what. So I think the hardest part was coming home from the hospital in the middle of a pandemic. You're like, did I contract COVID while I was there? oh my God, I still have to work from home. I'm going to do a, a, you know, the next day was April Fool's Day. So I said, I can't wait until April Fool's to say something. So I said something on social media that night of the 31st because I didn't want to, you know, pregnancy's not a joke. Nothing's a joke on April Fool's. So I think the hardest part was like my parents wanting to come visit me and me saying no. And I said, I just got out of the hospital, like the epicenter of pandemic times. So they would like drop stuff off at at our door. We live in an apartment. So they drop stuff off at our front door and we'd pick them up. I'd jump out on my balcony and wave to them. That was probably the hardest. And gosh, if it wasn't for social media, honestly, and if it wasn't for a community that I already established myself with... I don't know that I could have survived that one Um, because, you know, you have your husband and that's great. He's a great support system. He's your shoulder to cry on. But to not have that, I don't think I would have made it. Not at all. Yeah, you and I miscarried around the same time, actually. And I just remember it because, you know, you just want to like go see your family after that. Or, you know, I know my mom really wanted to come see me, but we were trying not to like 
you know, trying to distance ourselves. She was still working at home and so was I, but we both were like, it's just not safe. And I remember one day she came over just to like, I have like a, like a glass, um, like a storm door. So I like opened so I could see her and we just like waved at each other. And she's like, I just wish I could hug you. And like, it's so hard when you've miscarried and your parents just want to comfort you, but there's nothing you can do. So I feel like especially around quarantine, it's just such a hard thing to go through because you already feel so alone but then you're actually like physically there's no one else around so it's it's definitely not wasn't an easy time for anyone to have any type of loss like that no so with mother's day coming around the corner i i'd like to know how does that date affect you every year you know i treat it as if i'm a mother which i am um we we celebrate uh as just as we celebrate our moms, we love our moms very much. That day is for them. Um, Mike also showers me with love on that day. Um, he will tell me happy Mother's Day. He'll give me flowers. Um, we just think about all the happy memories. We think about what made me a mother in the first place, which is, you know, all four of my pregnancies. And sometimes I treat it like every other day. And sometimes I, truth be told, I probably would forget if I didn't have moms. <laughs> that mother's day even happened um but we we treat it as if you know we're celebrating me being a mom how do you typically cope during mother's day do you ever feel like some years are hard and some are just easy and you celebrate the first one um after my first miscarriage was hard because i expected to have a baby by then i would have i would have given birth in february that year so i would have had like an infant uh, so that was difficult. And like I said, I was in my late 20s. So a lot of my friends were having their first babies and they had theirs alive and well. And here I am, you know, oh gosh, don't talk about Angela's miscarriage, especially on Mother's Day. Um, mm -hmm. But ever since then, I've, I've really taken a more positive outlook on it. Um, as far as coping goes, um, yeah, I try not to be completely alone on Mother's Day. I try to at least have Mike with me, um, just because otherwise you could probably slip into a really dark, dark place. Um, but yeah, I take a more positive outlook on it. That's good. What advice would you give to somebody who knows someone who's miscarried and is still without mother, or sorry, still without children on Mother's Day? If they know somebody that miscarried, I think... The best thing you can do is shower them with love. Let them know you're thinking of them. Tell them happy Mother's Day. Um, let them know that they're not alone, that their babies matter, um, and that they should be just as celebrated as anyone with, with Earthside children. And what advice would you give to somebody who's grieving on Mother's Day? I would say be gentle with yourself for sure. Um, even be a little bit selfish if what all you want to do that day is um, watch Netflix, <laughs> um, is eat sweets, is to just be with the people that you love. That's definitely what you should do. Be gentle with yourself for sure because um, nowadays it's more it's more known that you know miscarriage does not make you a broken woman. It doesn't mean that you're not a mother. You are absolutely 100% a mother. Um, your babies matter. You matter. Please take care of yourselves. Um, do everything that you can 
um, to stay connected with if it's your partner, your husband, wife, whatever, um, and really just surround yourself with love and positivity because I feel like that's what's going to get you through that day versus really um, diving into your grief that day, I think. And, and if that means staying off of social media, because I know that can be really triggering, then do that. Unplug. Um, you know, in May in Michigan, it's not really that. It's unpredictable weather. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd want to go outside, but <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, like, for instance, uh, last year we just dropped off flowers to our moms. We're going to do the same thing this year. Just do a little drop off, say hi, and unplug and enjoy the day. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. So I'm curious to know, is there anything special you've done to remember the babies you've lost? Like, I know some people will plant a tree or, I don't know, write a letter, anything like that. Yeah, so um, I think I said this last year, but our son that we lost, Owen, we always celebrate his birthday. Um, And when we celebrate Owen, we are celebrating all four pregnancies. It's just that, you know, Owen has a gender and a name, Um, Mm -hmm. but we celebrate all four. Um, So for his birthday, we get a cake and a candle and we light it and say happy birthday. um, Mike and I have collected rubber duckies uh, throughout our relationship. So we get a rubber ducky, we write Owen's name on it, and we release it somewhere um, undisclosed. And just kind of take the day to remember that these losses happened and we remember them. Um, And, you know, I try to remember each date that we lost, but sometimes I do forget. So Mm -hmm. I I kind of take that day that Owen's birthday and just kind of encompass all four together on that day. Um, I I do still remember my due dates, all of them. So those days come around and I just, I uh, try to stay off social media unplug and distract myself because that's what you do you know it's it gets harder as the years go on because now I'm in my early 30s and for sure I'm surrounded by pregnant people I'm surrounded Mm -hmm. by people that are trying to get pregnant people that are pregnant I'm surrounded by people with babies now um do I let it affect me sometimes Uh, I can't I can't help but let it trigger me a little bit and um feel a little bit of resentment but um Sometimes you have to remember that it's not their fault. It's nobody's fault. Um, So it's funny because, like, I have people in my life that are pregnant right now, and I I still say, oh, it's so exciting. Oh, what are you going to name them? Do you know what you're having? Do you know where you're, you know, what your nursery is going to look like? And they always look at me like, wow, you still celebrate these women that are having babies when your grieving losses how do you do it and honestly I think that every baby is a blessing so for me I just want to say I I know what I would want if I was pregnant at that point I would want to be celebrated and loved and you know I'd want to brag about my pregnancy too so I just try to I try to celebrate all of it and you know if I know somebody that's lost I try to shower them with love too because they they need it very, very much. I like the idea that you've taken all four of the losses and put it into one date because I think that's for your well-being is probably going to be the the easiest 
because four is a lot. And if you were had to like, you know, every few months had to like celebrate it, I feel like that could be really hard on you eventually, even though you're doing something to remember and it and that and that in itself is healthy. I think that you, you know, picking a date to celebrate all of them is probably the best for you. Yeah. You know, for sure. So where are you in your journey now? I know you mentioned that you're done. You don't want to get pregnant again. So what, what is your plan for the future? So we basically our options right now are surrogacy adoption or foster to adopt. And we haven't really, we haven't really dived into that yet. Dove dived in. (laughs) Um, We haven't really gotten into that yet. Um, I think more or less our our surrogacy dreams might be fading just because as you know with IVF that's expensive and when you're doing surrogacy you're basically paying for someone's IVF yeah Um, and in Michigan it's illegal to compensate so it's extremely difficult so you have to find somebody that's in a different state where it's surrogacy friendly Um, it's just hard because it's a lot to ask for someone to to carry your child you know it's a big to me, I think it's a big burden. Um, whereas there are so many children in the United States that need a home. And to me, I feel like foster to adopt or even full-blown adoption might be the right route for us. So we're still trying to figure it out. You know, I keep saying that I'm getting old, but I'm 31. <laughs> I'm still technically quite No, you're still young. I've got plenty <laughs> of time. So right now we're just taking it you know, day by day, I, I already knew that we weren't going to do anything in 2020 after we lost our baby because we knew everything was going to be shut down anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2021, maybe, you know, we've, we're only five months in, you never know, <laughs> but right now yeah. we're just kind of focusing on our, on our lives and, and each other. Um, I think our marriage is stronger than ever right now. I think we, I think that's the important part about being together for so long is we're just so open with communication, at least, that nothing's off limits, nothing's off the table. And we talk about things that frustrate us and we talk about what we want to do all the time. And I think it's so important when you have a partner in your life um, or spouse that through all these losses and what you want to do for the future, if you do want to try again, please be open. You know, they went through it too. And that's the thing you have to remember about like dads, partners, they, they certainly went through the emotional part with you. So mm-hmm. don't, uh, don't shut them out. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling with infertility? I think the biggest thing is number one, keep talking because you don't, I didn't realize how many people I was touching when I was talking about um, my struggles and my losses. And even when I was vlogging my experience with um, trying to conceive, you don't know who you're reaching out to until they reach back out to you and say, you have no idea how much your story has touched me. Like I know, for instance, Emily, I know that your story has touched so many people because they know that they're going to have to go through IVF again they might not be successful again. I think the most important thing is just to keep being as open as you'd like to be. Um, keep the faith for sure. Don't let my story discourage you at all because I know for a fact that you could have a successful pregnancy. I just know it. And I know that for so many women that so many pregnancies end up in, in a healthy baby. 
So don't let my stories of recurrent loss ever discourage you. I always tell people that are newly pregnant, I said, don't let my story scare you. I said, you know, it, it happened to me and it's kind of a more unique story. And, you know, there's so many women that have gone through so much more loss even. So don't try Don't get discouraged just because, you know, it's so common for miscarriage to happen. If it does happen, you have so many people that you can reach out to, um, you know, and happy baby making, whether it's natural, <laughs> whether it's through IVF, whether it's through a surrogate you know, enjoy every moment because, you know, when it finally does happen for you, I can't even imagine the amount of bliss that day will bring when that baby comes and you can stare at them and just be like, we created this. Isn't this incredible? So I think the biggest thing is, is definitely stay open and um, just remember that in the grand scheme of things, like I've, I've talked to women that are like in their forties and fifties that have had kids via other options like IVF. And they say, you know, it's just a blink of a moment of time versus now I'm looking at my 18 year old daughter who's about to go off to college and think we made her. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's hard because a lot of women do get scared by, um, stories of miscarriage and loss, um, but I just like to be more of a, a realist when it comes to things like that, that it can happen. And, and if it does, you have, you have plenty of people supporting you, but you have to remember that the risk is so small, honestly, when you think about happy, healthy people, that there's an 80% chance that you're going to have a beautiful, healthy, happy baby. So hold on to that 80% chance and please keep going. Um, You have such a huge support system, especially you, Emily, you have so many people behind you right now. They're like, yeah, (laughs) we're so excited right now. I definitely feel that this time. And I think that's what's helped us. Cause I was just telling my husband, I was like, if I had not shared our second IVF cycle with like everybody on social media, I do not know how I would have survived that miscarriage because I just, without that support, because the support from my first round when we only told parents and a couple friends versus everyone we knew supporting us was just such a world of a difference. And I'm so glad that I finally shared that because that support is, I think is like what makes or breaks the situation. And And I totally agree with you too on um, kind of like enjoying the process because there's only so much that you can control. And I'm definitely going into this third round of like, all right, like we're just gonna glide through this and kind of try to be as mindful and present as possible. And you know, whatever happens, happens, but that's, you can only control what you can do. So that's all, even our, fertility doctor says the same thing like once he transfers the embryo it's like it's up to it's up to the heavens now like we don't know what's gonna happen so yeah I think I agree with you just kind of being present and enjoying the process as much as possible and if you decide to you know pull back or you decide you don't want to try anymore that's fine too but definitely like less stress and less pressure on yourself it'll make it a little bit more enjoyable as much as it can be. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm just so completely blown away by your story. I'm just like, 
you are seriously like one of the strongest women that I've ever spoken with. I just cannot believe the stuff you've gone through and the fact that you're still sitting here smiling today just shows how strong you are. You know, you just, you really never know how far you can be pushed or what you can work through until it's face to face, basically. Right. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, you guys, Angela's story is just such a an emotional roller coaster. I mean, even just sitting here re-editing the audio for you guys, I was in tears listening to this story over again, even though I had already, you know, listened to it while interviewing her. It's just such a touching story. And it goes to show you that when we call infertility warriors warriors, we mean it. They're warriors. They've been through so much. They've been pushed to their limits and they still are able to have a smile on their faces. I know that you couldn't see Angela, but she had a smile on her face for the majority of this interview and she carries her story so well. She speaks so well and she is just such a warrior. So thank you guys again so much for listening. And as always, if you ever want to be a part of the podcast, if you want to share your story about infertility, fertility treatments, pregnancy loss, please email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and I will see you guys in the next episode.